This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Man is real life. Tug gun, tug knife, got blurred twice. And I made all right. I was like, I ain't going back. If he run my name, it's a rap. I need to tuck my thing at your house. So check it out, 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 ho. Let me tell you what I'm about, though. Innocent the pack, but I went another route, though. Hey, I gotta feed my house, so crazy how much money that I made off a house, though. Yeah, I gotta cop and blow. Fuck five, oh, they can't stop the dough. They wanna lock your rope for intent to seal. But you found hella money, ain't find the skill. Ha, 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 Stay ha, 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 ha. I'm a loud nigga, got a loud mouth. I get loud packs. I got a wild house. Getting down with the get down. Oh, that's nice. Isn't it nice? It's Zazale. It's some Oakland Steve's. You watch his videos. It's enough to get any uh, older, more conservative, uh, geriatric, Caucasian kind of nervous. It's a bunch of black and brown people dancing in the street. Doesn't that make them nervous? Don't they start voting for Trump after that? Anyway, whatever. We're not going to talk about politics. going to talk about uh, the most recent uh, little excursion I went on uh, down to the Mojave, which was a fucking... It was mind-numbingly cold for the mojave desert at least of course for some of you who live in more temperate areas it probably wasn't that bad but for me you know i was sleeping in my truck a couple of those nights was very very frigid and then of course on the last day i stayed at a friend's uh two of my friends they live in joshua tree stay with them we went out the we went out the dollar bowling the night before nice uh it was a nice uh trip back to the 90s uh in the bowling alley there in yucca valley and uh the next morning woke up at their house uh deep in the heart of the mojave desert and there was probably three inches of snow on the ground it was wild i've never i've never seen the desert like that that's like a once every 20 years event or maybe more now since the climate's all fucked up but either way uh I was, uh, yeah, it kind of made me, you know, kind of made me worried for the desert annuals because a lot of stuff had germinated. A lot of those desert annuals had germinated. Seed bank germinates, right? The seeds are laying in the soil for a year or two until they get enough moisture. Um, we've had a couple good rain years, so maybe it was, you know, the soil seed banks. Uh, they've only been there for a year, a year or so. Um, all that seed germinates, you get a lot of desert annuals uh, bloom, 
they they grow and bloom and then of course get knocked down by that snow um people are saying the snow's an insulating factor but I, you know i don't think you look at like a phacelia or a pareidolia leaf flower and uh i think it'll just fry right off i think it'll just burn um they didn't look too happy but uh yeah i mean some of those the plants will probably make it but uh i think some certainly a lot of flowers were lost and i saw a lot of dieback too but then of course you go to the next mountain range over maybe it's a little bit lower elevation they're getting rain not snow you go it was actually in joshua tree national park uh and at the south end it's it's going off there's lupins and uh lots of camisonias and uh the genus now known as shilismia um lots of ischolzia the, the poppies uh not the california poppy it's a different species and um and a lot of stuff going off, but uh, then at the north end, it's it's frigid and uh, it's still winter. So I think the north end's a little bit higher, of course. But yeah, you know, I normally avoid Joshua Tree National Park. I'm glad it exists, but it's just not my it's not my thing. It's like the theme park. It's uh, it's kind of like the it's a little too safe for me, I guess. And there's a lot. There's just too many people. I'm glad it exists. I I love the fact that that land's preserved, but there's just too many fucking people and um so but i i so i'd avoid it i avoided it for a long time but uh now i actually uh a friend uh two friends were down there uh they were camped on the south end and um and there's there is a lot of cool uh flora there there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on and then of course most people don't go off trails or even off the roads they just kind of like to drive through take some selfies with a joshua tree and then leave you know maybe in some yoga paints or doing a yoga pose or whatever whatever's the big thing now <laughs> you get you get a lot of people from la i think you get a lot of people from la there's all this desert romanticism now right because deserts and cacti and all that shit are in there's all the all the hipsters love the the cactus boutiques and whatnot which i guess is cool as long as they're not poaching them from the wild Maybe some of them will even learn to grow these things themselves, themselves from seed. But uh, so yeah, the the, the park's kind of blown up. But but there's there's, there's a lot of cool, a uh, lot of cool plants that grow. There are a lot of cool things going on floristically. Uh, so I said, fuck it, I'll I'll check it out. Uh, I got a national parks pass. I didn't mean to. I just I was had to drive through Yosemite last October to go to a friend's wedding in the Eastern Sierras, and. I figured, fuck, if I'm, it's so expensive to get into the park, I might as well just get a pass. It's only, you know, a, a, a annual pass is like the price of two and a half, you know, one-use tickets, or entrances into Yosemite. So I might as well just get the pass, whatever. And so it came in use. I used it this time to get in. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. It's There's a, it's a lot of stuff going on. It's all, it's mostly all granite. That whole fucking park is all granite, which, uh, you know, I grew up in, Chicago. I moved out here when I was 17. Chicago's all limestone. And that's if you can get through the the you know 50 to 60 feet of topsoil. Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's not 50 to 60 feet, but it's a lot of fucking topsoil on top of that rock. You can't really get to the base rock, the um the country rock, as they would call it. Um, in a lot of those cases in the Midwest, you know, because there's just so much topsoil. There's so many thousands upon thousands of years of prairie plants growing dying uh decomposing and then the next generation growing and dying and decomposing on top of that so you've got a, a really rich topsoil which is why they want to you know use it uh, for uh growing all those monocrop plantations of soybeans and corn so um 
you can't get to the rock uh, in the Midwest in a lot of cases unless it's been cut by a road or stream or maybe there's a little bit of elevation uh, moraines left over from the glaciers. Um, so, uh, but even when you do, it's limestone. It's all very old limestone, which is fucking cool. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love limestone. I love crinoids. I love the fossils you see in there. But, uh, but granite's just a whole other field of play with a whole other uh, different kind of soil chemistry that evolves. And, um, and not to mention the story of how it came into being, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about granite on this podcast. Then I'll tell you about some of the nice things I've seen. And uh, we'll go from there. Okay, but before I talk about granite, I forgot to mention one thing. Before I went down to Joshua Tree, I took a little uh, trip to the uh, the inland valley, like directly east of o- Oakland. And uh, there's a little there's a little town called Ione. It's in the Sierra foothills. I don't know what elevation it's at. Uh, relatively low, just a little bit uphill from uh, from the the main central valley, and it's it's mostly oak woodland. Uh, where the soil is is just the normal uh, alluvium, but there's a there's a spot in Ione that's uh, a, a kind of soil type I'd never fucking heard of before called laterite soils, which is basically the remnants of uh, first first of all they're, they're highly oxidized. They're highly there's iron in the soil. It's highly oxidized. They're very red soils, and they're they're basically leftovers. They're they're indicative of a, a much warmer, almost tropical environment. Um, I don't really understand. I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. I don't really understand how they form, but that I do know that they, they, they imply that a formation in a, in a hot, humid, subtropical environment, um, kind of like swampy almost. Uh, you know, so laterites are basically they're, they're high in iron and, uh, I think aluminum too. And this particular formation, uh, is, is very clay-like. It's like a lot of laterite, clay it, really weird soil texture and of course since it's got a lot of oxidized iron in it it's very red and uh, it was formed this particular formation formed in the eocene which was uh of course a much <laughs> a much warmer time on planet earth you had fucking crocodiles in wyoming there were redwood forests uh up towards the north pole um there was much less of a thermal gradient between the equator and the pole so much less of a difference in temperature between the equator and the pole. And uh, the laterites form in hot and wet, um, basically tropical environments, which, of course, it was in the Eocene. There was a lot more CO2 in the atmosphere. Uh, it was a, a, warming, a warming period in the in planet Earth. So uh, tell that to your uh, racist libertarian uncle who doesn't believe that CO2 causes uh, climate change. Or that uh, humans injecting CO2 into the atmosphere at the rate that we are could cause climate change. But anyway, so what what the, the laterites are basically is all that iron, of course, is pretty toxic to a lot of plants. Um, and it creates this kind of, just this, these, this fucked up edaphic condition, this fucked up soil condition, which of course is going to cause in plants some endemism and some speciation right because that's we've seen it with serpentine we've seen it with gypsophile soils we've seen it uh even i guess to a certain extent in hard pan soils or you see it in very acidic soils too in bogs etc you know life adapts life plants find a way to cope so and that's the same case here so you have a couple endemic plants 
two that I was focusing on when I went here, and I've been coming to this spot for a long time. You got to trespass to get there. There's, I think it's a, there's a quarry there. I forget what exactly they're mining, but they're they're mining basically a product of the the laterites. Um, and uh, I've never seen anybody when I go there either, so it's not like I'm bumming anybody out by being there. But fuck, trespassing's not a big deal anyway. If you're just going to look at at uh, at life. You know, I'm not stealing shit. I'm not trying to make off with a with a bulldozer or anything. Though that might be interesting. So um, there's the two plants in, in question that I was going to take a look at. Oh yeah, and they got fucking fossils. There's a, there's plant fossils from the Eocene. There's a fossil flora there, and you can look this up on the internet if you go to like uh, just type in Ione fossil flora. There's some guy uh, called Inyo that did a bunch of. He was a I think he was a teacher at Sierra College. Uh, in the Sierra foothills. And that's a cool, if you ever get a spot, that chance to go there, I forget where Sierra College is. It's like northeast of Roseville. I think it's in Rockland or Lincoln or something. You know, nor- northern Sierra foothills in California. They got a really cool fucking uh, little mini museum in their geology department. You know, I went there at like 5 p.m. on a weekday. There was no one around uh, either a year or two back. I was working, I was running trains out of Roseville. I figured. You know, I'm not going to get enough time off in between in between the trains I'm catching. So I'll just sleep in my truck, wake up or, uh, you know, wake up, which for me, I was waking up at 4 p.m. because I was working nights and I'll go check out this uh, this college and their little geology department. They got a lot of cool shit. They got a lot of cool fossils. Um, they, it's really worth it. If you're in the area, in that area, it's worth going to check out and it's free. So anyway, this guy named Inyo put out a nice uh, website about the fossil flora of I own, which I still, we found, we were there last weekend. We found some exposures of this weird, like white shale mudstone that would break. It would fracture at the bedding planes. And we found what we could tell. I mean, we saw carbon, which is basically, you know, fossils. It's, it's plant material that's been compressed, but just fractured and fucked up. You can't really tell it. It's a, it's a, you can't tell what it is, but you could, it's black. You could tell it's, there's carbon there. It was organic carbon. We found some of that and we found what might be a leaf, but we couldn't really tell. Um, and that was at a certain area where there was like a w- exposure of this white shale rock. And that's actually where we found one of the plants in question, which was Areogonum apricum. Uh, it's called the Irish, Irish hill buckwheat. I think this was a subspecies. I think it was Areogonum apricum variety prostratum. But anyway, it's, it's a, it's a fucking buckwheat, which if you don't know, the buckwheat is a common name for the genus Areogonum, which is a highly diverse, I think it's like the genus, it's the largest genus in all of, uh, of California, I think. It's hard to believe though, because there's a lot of fucking astragalus too. Whatever. Anyway, there's a lot of different species of, uh, of Areogonum, um, and there's a lot of diversification and they've colonized all these different xeric environments you know there's alpine ones there's desert ones there's a lot of variations on a theme there and they're all really cool and they're all extremely fucking hard to figure out in terms of a family they're hard to study like a friend of mine was telling me he always brings us up he always brings up that one of the people he knows who used to study areogonum now works at target it's like it's a <laughs> it's like it's an example of how how 
much working with this gene has fucked their mind up because it's so hard. I mean, I thought asters were hard, and I'm in a, I'm nerding out on asters right now. I'm on a fucking aster wormhole, but Ariagonum is like it's it's a combination of the tiny flowers and so much diversification, and then there's hybridization, and there's you're not just working with species you're working with subspecies and varieties which is like when i get when i get down to subspecies and variety i'm kind of like what the fuck does it even really matter does it matter is there enough difference there to constitute my attention span to warrant my attention span you know you know what i mean but uh but now i'm realizing and i maybe it was maybe it was going here to this spot maybe it was going algodones dunes and seeing ariagonum deserticola which is, which is like a perennial, almost tree-like areogonum, almost tree-like buckwheat that made me realize, all right, I need to start paying some fucking attention to this. Maybe I should get into it a little bit more, you know? So you break out the Jeps and you look at what differentiates one, uh, one choice on the key from another choice on the key, what, what things you're looking at morphologically, whatever. Anyway, that's a whole nother fucking wormhole. Ariagonum will drive you nuts. I'm probably going to have to schedule some more appointments with my therapist. Okay. Hopefully I don't go back to drinking. All right. Hopefully you don't find me curled up on the floor in a fetal position, shitting my pants and crying, holding my Jepson flora, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. But uh, regardless, Ariagonum's a highly ecologically successful genus. And uh, in Polygonaceae, another cool genus in Polygonaceae is Corazanth, the spine flower. But whatever. That's. It's a, it's a digression. So I was there to check that out, the Irish Hill buckwheat, which is an endemic. It only grows in this area on these laterite soils. And then uh, another famous Arctostaphylos, the, uh, you know, one of the Manzanitas, Ericaceae, blueberry family. Of course, uh, some of you who are not in the American West probably know Arctostaphylos uverursi. That's circumpolar, I believe. It's all over the place. Arctostaphylos uh, uva ursi kinnikinnik, as the herbalists call it, uh, is a you know a prostrate growing, uh, low growing uh, bearberry. I think they call it too. But let's not use common names. Let's not resort to that. Um, so that's that's everywhere. That's a highly successful uh, Arctostaphylos. The one at at I own is Arctostaphylos myrtifolia. I guess because somebody thinks its leaves look like a myrtle. But I, I don't. I'm not even too familiar with myrtles, though, so maybe I shouldn't talk. But Arctostaphylos myrtifolia is the dominant plant uh, at on the Ione laterite soils, and that's I O N E. For those that want to do some further independent study, independent research, um, and Arctostaphylos myrtifolia is only known from these hills in Ione. Uh, so of course, when did it speciate? How long has it been there? Uh, how long have these laterite soils been exposed? Because they weren't always exposed, right? They were probably buried for a while. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, it maybe only gets two feet tall at the most. And often not even that. Tiny fucking flowers. Tiny little typical ericaceous, erica family, heath family, blueberry family, uh, urn-shaped flowers. And um, fuzzy stems, fuzzy leaves. And uh, I guess it's it's suffering from Phytophthora dieback. Somehow Phytophthora... Uh, 
This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Which is P H Y T O P H O R A, famous, infamous genus of uh, water molds. They're called. They're basically a brown algae that became parasitic. They're not a fungus at all. They're not actually a mold. Um, they reproduce by spores. I think they even have motile, motile spores that that swim. They need water. They they need water to get around or or they're dispersed. I don't fucking know. Don't ask me. But but um. It's a, basically the whole genus. Irish potato blight is in Phytophthora. It's a pain in the ass. It's a Phytophthora normally means, uh, it actually means plant killer. So uh, Phytophthora cinnamoni is uh, the species that somehow got to, <coughs> it somehow got to Ione and is infested um, some of these Arctostaphylos myrtifolia. And there's dieback, but it doesn't seem too... It seems bad, but it doesn't seem like it's going to knock the population out. You know, it's not like chestnut blight where it's just... It's nuking everything. But it is there, and you can see dieback. Um, this same species is supposedly decimating Wolomai, uh pine, which is not an actual pine, right? It's an Ericaria relative. Really, really old lineage of conifers down there in uh, the Blue Mountains of Sydney, Australia. So this... Phytophthora is a highly successful <laughs> plant killer, um, and this species especially. I don't know how it got there. Probably from the nursery trade. Um, it's really hard to see. The, I mean, the, I don't even know what Phytophthora fruiting bodies look like, but basically you need a microscope to confirm diagnosis, but you do see uh, dieback on whatever plant material it uh, it's infecting. So... Uh, yeah, but you need a obviously lab test to confirm it, but you can get the hint. Um, and those hints are readily obvious at the Ione uh, Arctostaphylos myrtifolia stand. Anyway, you get to this uh, this landscape, and it's wild. It's you know it's a low growing landscape. There's not um, there's not there's some cool cryptogamic crust. There's some cool lichen and shit on the ground. Then the dominant plants Arctostaphylos myrtifolia. There's a uh, Arctostaphylos uh, visita, the viscid manzanita, is there too, which is like a 
more glabrous, smooth-leaved blue manzanita that actually gets a lot taller. They get up to like six feet. But the whole landscape's wild looking. The soil's bright red, looks like the surface of, of Mars, but it's colonized by, you know, a relatively low diversity of plants. There's scrub oaks there too. Um, there's also Quercus wislizenii. It's just, it's just a, I, I love these landscapes. I love these weird edaphic conditions, these weird soil conditions that cause speciation and endemism. And, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fucking worthwhile spot to go to in California and just, just a cool spot to study, uh, endemism and ecology and etc. So we went there, we were walking around. It was, uh, like five or 6 PM and there's, um, the sun's going down and we're seeing all these weird, the soil texture is incredible. I mean, it's, you could pick it up. It's like chalky, but it's f- foamy and it kind of feels like silly, putty. it feels like porous, silly putty. And then there's all these cool colors in it. Once, you know, we got to like a spot where they had a, uh, the quarry, they dug out part of the quarry. It was cool. We rolled up, we got up there and walked up there and there's a bunch of turkey vultures hanging out on this cliff where they dug out the quarry. And then it was like a three or four story drop down to the bottom and we went around looked at the exposure and there's all different colors of uh you could see where there was like a color of a layer of white a big bar of white right above a big bar of bright red and there's purple in there too just a fucking wild landscape and then you get to the we got to the area where where we were finding some of the what is possibly one of the fossil exposures because the rock was breaking in the right way and it went from being this clay to being this kind of shale, this white shale. And that's where we saw that Areogonum apricum, which is a small plant. I mean, I I think it's perennial, I don't know. But uh but it's a small ass plant with these kind of almost chordate heart-shaped leaves and um you know, I I didn't even realize it until I got up close when I was standing far back, I realized that these these little they're like the size of a grapefruit, maybe splotches all over the ground. They're the only thing growing on this area where there's all this white, white shale. And, uh, you get up close, you realize it's all this Areogonum apricum. You know, it's, that's the dominant plant right there. It's just like these little, oh fuck. It was so cool to see. And there's an area where a wash had cut through this, uh, this really soft white shale. And they were growing on the, they were growing on the, the vertical side of this, uh, this wash just, I mean, just dominant, you know, everywhere. And they weren't even flowering yet. It was too cold for anything to really be going off. The manzanitas were flowering because they flower early. But uh, this Areogonum was just, fuck, you know, I realize I got to go back on a month or two, get pictures of the flowers. Um, yeah, Areogonum's such a fucking cool genus, man. I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna dive in. I'm going to go in. I'm going to go for it, you know, <laughs> a couple months. Once I get the, once I get some more time, I can you know, set aside Aster ACA for a little bit, get into Areogonum because they're just, there's so many different kinds. So we checked that out, um, took some nice pictures and then, uh, I took off for, uh, the desert long shit slog of a drive down I-5 losing my mind, uh, talking to the dogs, uh, hoping they're going to start talking back to me. That, that drive down I-5 always kills me, man. It's never, fun it's if the, i wish i could sedate myself because it's just <coughs> it's just some of the most ugly i'm sure it was beautiful like i said 300 years ago but now it's just all this petroleum agriculture just you go past cowschwitz and all the shit fields 
you know, where all your burgers come from. Another reason I try to limit my red meat intake. You know, you go through those Kauschwitz shit fields at Koalinga. It's, it's, and it's just, you know, you see all of them standing. You could smell it, you know, a mile or two away. And then you go, you drive through and there's just, it's so fucking depressing and just <laughs> terrible, you know? And then you realize all these fucking just people going to, you know, that's like, that's what that, all that fast food, all that nasty shit, just clogging up all the colons and all the truckers that just, you know, they spend a good 80% of their life sitting down on their ass. And you realize why everyone's dropping from heart disease. <laughs> I can't, oh God, comedy and tragedy. Anyway, uh, so I get down to, uh, uh, Joshua Tree, the Joshua Tree area, and the actual Joshua Tree city. I got friends down there. I'm going to visit them. It's a nice spot to uh, to stay. I could sleep on their couch instead of freezing my ass off in the truck. And uh, I realize there's snow on everything, which there's it's a relatively rare occurrence. But this was just a light dusting. I get down there. I see Choyas and Yucca Shidigra covered in snow. Go take some pictures. But there's you know there some Facelia had already germinated. Facelia is a uh, genus in uh, Baraginaceae. I think I used to be in Hydrophilaceae, but they merged the families. There's a whole, there's a taxonomic clusterfuck going on right now. I heard they just split up Baraginaceae into a bunch of different families. But either way, you get the same thing going on. Scorpioid cymes, the, the inflorescence looks like a scorpion tail unfurling. Uh, lots of hairs. Some plants in this family cause uh, dermatitis upon touching them. I actually touched... I had a, a brief encounter, a casual encounter with uh, Terricula perii. Now it's known as Eriodictyon perii. Poodle dog bush, it's called. Germinates after fires in Chaparral. Beautiful fucking plant. Smells kind of like weed. Lots of terpenes there. Lots of cool chemistry in the, that leaf tissue. I touched one because I'm always touching plants. I'm always picking them up, smelling them, whatever. Uh, held it up to my face, smelled it. The next day I woke up, my whole face was swollen. I looked like I had liver cirrhosis and I'd been punched in the face a bunch of times. And I looked like some of the old winos that uh, I would ask to buy me alcohol when I was 15. You know, I looked rough. I didn't even recognize myself anymore. And then, of course, I learned that that plant causes atopic uh, dermatitis upon touching it. And some of the facilias do too. But anyway, there was a lot of facilia purple uh scorpion flowers uh on the ground and they were covered in snow and they were it makes it made me wonder is this snow and i thought about this a couple times because there was it was very cold and there was a lot of snow and there was a lot of desert annuals that had germinated during the formerly warmer temperatures we'd had two weeks prior or the mojave desert had had two or three weeks prior and i made me wonder you know does this could this you get the right the perfect storm like this could it wipe out a seed bank all those seeds lay in the soil they germinate uh they start to flower you get a hard freeze uh or even just a, a heavy snow that breaks them or knocks them back and then is that generation lost now of course there'll be some seed that didn't germinate that's still in the soil seed bank uh that will come back once it warms up and you get that that snow melts um because, I mean, the snow is a really good form of moisture. It's better than rain, right? It's more, it's a, it's a slower, more gradually released moisture that better permeates the ground instead of just a hard rain that just, especially in a desert, doesn't encounter any resistance in the soil because there's not much growing there and just runs right off into the washes and uh, out into the aquifers, out into the, or out into the, uh, 
watersheds rather. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Because it did. I did see a lot of dieback on some of the stuff uh, down there last week. You know, you could just see the the tips of these peridoles and the fascias and other shit would just brown and just go limp, like the top three inches of this. You know, but it seemed like the plant would make it, would pull through, and then of course would just produce more flowers, etc. But yeah, they're all annuals, so you know, you get one shot. You get one shot. Um, yeah, that was fucking cool. There's the carpets of annuals. You know, you go to, like when I went to the south end of Joshua Tree National Park, and there was just fields of lupin, and I mean, you could smell it. It was so pungent. It smelled so good, and seeing that at sunset. Uh, was pretty intoxicating. I mean, those, if you've never been in a desert wildflower bloom, uh, they're pretty incredible. But it is obnoxious. I'll be honest. It is obnoxious to see all these fucking nitwits pulling off the road and going out, walking out into these fields and stepping all over them and shit just to get a selfie, to take like a, a 15 second photo, you know, that's going to look like all the other 15 second photos that 3,000 assholes before you took. And put it on your, your Instagram. You know, you just want that photo up. I get it. People want flowers, but you, you got to think about these things. You know, you don't, there's so many fucking people. There's so much habitat getting destroyed just by us existing. You want to limit it to an extent. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. Plus, you just, you need a selfie. You, don't you know what you look like? You need, <laughs> you need more pictures of yourself. Anyway, what am I talking about? Don't, uh, I'm not trying to shame anybody. So, uh, yeah, I went down, I went, uh, made it through the Central Valley, went past the Kauschwitz. Does that offend people? Does that offend people when I say, it's what it is. I mean, you look at these, these fucking cattle farms, and I'm no way am I against, I'm not against eating meat at all, of course. I just, you look at that, I mean, it's, it's fucking terrible, you know? <laughs> you see like 5,000 cows, 5,000 animals slammed into a half mile square pen it's a uh, fuck it's pretty depressing and just the fucking pollution and the effluent and the smell jesus christ anyway so uh yeah light dusting of snow woke up the next day in uh in joshua tree and uh and headed into the park and was immediately reminded of why i don't go there's like a you know it took like 15 minutes to get into the park there's a line of people that park's been getting blown up there's so much it's so popular now uh i think a lot of it is because of social media people just know it's out there and yeah i get it you know people want to feel a feeling of connection to nature and i'm all for that i just i want people to get excited enough about it to learn about it to look into it and uh you know not just go for the the picture in yoga pants or the the picture in your fucking toe shoes while you're climbing a Joshua tree, which you should never do because they're not really trees. They're, they don't have the structural capacity, the structural strength, uh, that trees do, you know, you just want that one, that one picture. So, uh, holy shit. How'd I do that? I went right back to making fun of people taking selfies. Anyway, um, what the fuck was I talking about? So I went in, I went in there. I was reminded why I, I kind of generally avoid national parks uh, just for myself. But then, uh, upon driving into the park, I was also reminded why I should have come to, uh, to this park, uh, sooner, you know, than I did. It had been too long. I'd been there like eight years ago and I just, there, there's granite everywhere. There's so much going on geologically. And of course it's a desert. So there's these, 
these are unvegetated hills and mountains so you can more perfectly see all the layers of rock the exposures what's going on you can see the nice the g-n-e-i-s-s -S, not to be confused with nicest and real nice which again in chicago just means tolerable disdain um nice is just a, a metamorphic rock you get a lot of striations a lot of cool lines the wavy lines and um you still get the phenocris which now i'm going to go into a rant about granite the phenocris of course are basically it's the grain size the the they're basically mini crystals that form as the granite slowly cools and that's a trademark of granite as compared with rhyolite or basalt or more of the extrusive igneous rocks right you got intrusive igneous rocks you got extrusive igneous rocks basalt uh obsidian all that sort of shit that's all extrusive igneous rock it was extruded upon the surface in a volcanic eruption whereas granite is intrusive it cooled very slowly inside the earth it was basically and you can have the same chemical composition but it they, the rocks look completely different depending on where they cool so like granite's equivalent extrusively granite's extrusive equivalent is rhyolite same chemical composition generally high silica remember silica is just basically glass high silica uh as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Uh, chemical uh, content, but uh, rhyolite cools very, very quickly. It cools on the surface. It's, it's blown out of a volcano, etc., Granite cools very slowly underground. It might be the actual magma chamber that that rhyolite lava, rhyolitic lava came from, but it's deep and it's much deeper in the ground. It's like a mile or two, some cases much deeper uh, in the earth. And so it cools very slowly over a longer amount of time. And you get, that's how you get those large grain sizes, those, those phenocris to form. And that's how you can tell. I mean, anyone can tell looking at a rock that, has phenocris you know it's an igneous rock meaning it cooled from magma you could tell whether it's intrusive or extrusive so uh and there's a god there's like a bunch of different types of granites there's there's monzo granites granodiorites all kinds of shit but um basically the thing about granite 
is that it's all one large mass, you know, extending over miles and miles, generally speaking. So when you see these giant boulders in Joshua Tree, you get the impression that this boulder landed here or it was displaced here or whatever. But what actually happened was that boulder was part of the same mass. It's, it's the same age as the one that's 50 feet away from it. And they were all part of the same initial mass. But once that, uh, once that initial mass, which again was a liquid rock that cooled very slowly underground, once that was uplifted to the surface of the earth and, uh, and it started to weather, I always compare it to, I compare this to like tipping the hourglass over, right? <clears throat> once that granite's exposed, that's when you're tipping the hourglass over, the sand starts running out. And once the sand's completely run out of the hourglass, that's when the granite is finally weathered and, and turned to, uh, turned to, to sand. So, and that's what's going on. This granite, these granite plutons, these granite batholiths, these masses of, of these giant masses of rock are exposed on the surface, either uplifted by tectonic forces or, I mean, almost, almost always uplifted. They start, the hourglasses turn over, they start weathering, right? And so they, the way they, they weather, and granite's a pretty unstable rock, actually. If you've ever, it's, it's a pain in the ass to climb. It breaks down really easily. Those phenocrysts, the matrix that holds those phenocrysts together breaks up really easily. And those phenocrysts end up turning in, you know, getting weathered and turning into more smaller phenocrysts and turning into sand. So these two boulders were originally part of the same rock. So you got two boulders 50 feet apart or 100 feet apart or whatever. But they break up and the stuff in between them weathers, turns to sand. And, uh, and now you've got two separate boulders that look like they're, they weren't part of the same mass, but they were, you know. So once you, and once you get that vision of the, that, that idea that they're all part of the same contiguous mass, then you start to understand they're all the same age formed at the same time, you know, in a certain area. And, uh, and that's basically what's going on. You could see, and you could see the weathering in action. You could see, I mean, Christ climbing up some of the, the hills I was climbing up, you know, they're dangerous. I mean, the, the, it's actively weathering. There's pieces falling off of the granite. Those phenocrysts are it's unstable. Uh, and not all granites like this. Some's a, some granite is a lot more stable. I think if you go like Northern Michigan, Northern Wisconsin, up near the Canadian shield, that's a lot more, um, stable granite. It doesn't weather as easily. It's, it's more together, but the, at least the stuff in the, the Southwest deserts all tends to just break apart, you know, and you can, you can even see it in a, in the Sierra Nevadas too, because the Sierra Nevadas are all granite, right? You know, you go up on the Feather River, northern Sierras, and there's a lot of serpentine up there. But where there's granite, you can see it just, I mean, there's there's piles of sand at the base of some of these granite cliffs. And it's granitic sand that's basically that granite weathering. And that's what's going on with with Joshua Trees uh, National Park and the Mojave Desert in general. There's so much fucking granite. Um, and it creates this really cool landscape of these big boulders. And the soil chemistry, it's pretty acidic. It's like the opposite of limestone. So, I just kind of took a minute to to check that out to to see what's going on there. Um, these these big giant boulders weathering. Some are still close together. Basically, you you take a giant rock and you'll see a a slight fracture in it. Then the water and the rain and the weather, etc., and plants too will exploit that crack and widen it, and then 
eventually one boulder turns into two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I was checking that out. You get that, those nice alluvial deposits of all that granite sand. That, of course, forms the, the substrate that many of these desert annuals grow on. I saw a really cool uh, desert annual called, not desert annual, excuse me, a cactus called the Coryphantha alversonii. I think it might have been placed in the genus Escobaria. Now, I don't know what that's about, but regardless, it's rare. Only occurs in the Mojave. It's got tubercles, which basically look like those, you know, the... The nipples, I guess you would call them. They're like these pronounced, they're not ribs like a saguaro has. They're like these pronounced mounds that occur in uh, vertical uh, ridges up and down the cactus. And uh, and they're like bright blue. And then, of course, it's got a bunch of uh, radial spines coming out of each tubercle or out of the aerial on each tubercle. And... Uh, like when it flowers, it's a beautiful fucking pink flower at the, the apex of the the plant. So yeah, so that Coryphantha, and it was like one of the biggest Coryphanthas. It's one of the biggest individuals of that species I've ever seen. I ended up seeing a lot more a couple days ago, or a couple days later, uh, in another much more remote area outside the park with a lot of granite. But I fucking love, I love seeing that plant, that cactus. Really cool little cactus. It's probably been poached a lot too, because... Uh, in the more common areas, you don't see that many. In the more heavily trafficked areas, you don't see that many. So, uh, and then surrounding that Coryphantha, there was tons of annuals going off. Uh, and it was fucking cold, but they were still doing their thing. There was, you know, tons of, mostly Asteraceae. A lot of, uh, the, the main annual families I was seeing were uh, Onagraceae, Evening Primrose family. You see a lot of uh, Shilismias, Camasonias, Aramothra. Uh, and then, of course, Asteraceae, there was lots of Areophyllum, that, that tiny prostrate woolly sunflower, they call it, but it's not really a sunflower, it's fucking tiny. The The flower heads are maybe, as, they're smaller than your thumb, you know, smaller diameter than your thumb. Uh, there was Malacothrix, Chicory tribe, Canactus, which I believe is also the Chicory tribe. Um, all looking great, all smelling great. Um, what the fuck else did I see? Right there, I forget. Anyway, uh, so moving on, I went, uh, kept driving, stopped at that, the Choya Garden. It's called the Choya Garden. It's like a little turnoff. It's an exhibit area for the park. It was fucking mob with people too. I rolled up and there's fifty people standing around the parking lot, but which was enough for me. I just you know got out, checked out the Choyas, etc. But all those that species of Choya, Cylindra puncha, Bigalovii. They call it teddy bear choya because it almost looks fuzzy. It almost looks fuzzy. You almost want to go hug it until you realize that it's a cactus. And they not only do these poke you, it's they're covered in spines, but the the spines have tiny barbs on them. They're really cool to look at under a microscope. The spines have tiny barbs, and then those tiny barbs have more tiny barbs. So they they just stick to you. And uh, this is not only to discourage <laughs> to discourage herbivory. It's also a dispersal mechanism for the, this plant. And this is fucking really, really cool. This is really incredible uh, because it works so well for this plant. This plant doesn't reproduce by seed that often. It will, but it's it's not common. The much more uh, common way that this plant gets around and does its thing is uh, through cloning itself. And choyas, you know, cacti are easy to root. Gen like plants in the actual family cactaceae not just succulents uh euphorbs don't do this that well cacti will often send out roots without any rooting hormone 
you know, especially stuff in the Opuncha subfamily, which uh, Cylindropuncha is. You know, they will just, you'll, without even being in soil, they'll just start to send out roots. They look like little feet protruding out of the, the stem of the plant or whatever the gravity side of the plant is. And that's what happens here. These, these arms on this Choya cactus will readily dehiss so, so easily with the, the littlest amount of pressure bumping into it, sometimes even just the wind. Actually, a, a lot of cases, it's just the wind. And you get some really mean fucking winds in the Mojave, <clears throat> especially in the winter. And so it'll break these arms off, they fall on the ground, and then they'll just lay there. And they'll lay in wait. And remember, cactus, a cactus is basically a battery. A cactus is like a battery full of water and carbohydrates. It can last a while without recharging, without any influx of water. Um, so these, these little stems and arms, sometimes only two or three inches long, sometimes five inches long, sometimes eight inches long, will lay on the ground beneath the parent plant uh, until uh, it warms up enough and then they'll start to send out roots. And then those roots will slowly, uh, gradually insert themselves into the ground. And once they're in the ground, then they can, of course, start uh, uh, absorbing water and bringing that to the plant, which then the plant gets to slowly recharge itself, produce more carbohydrates, take in more water, produce more roots. The roots go further into the ground, and then boom, you have a new plant. And uh, it does this so easily and so readily. And you, you could see it happening uh, in some cases, too. You can see these roots before they've gone into the ground, after they've started to pop out of the bottom of the, the gravity side of the the stem that's fallen on the ground and then you start to realize fuck all these plants and there had to be at least three or four thousand plants i mean it's literally a forest of choya cactus you realize they're all probably the same two or three or maybe even one individual that's just been highly su successful and colonized this entire bohada bahada you know it's and it's like a, a i don't know maybe a dozen acres maybe more than that and some of these Choya Gardens, they're all over the Mojave. Some, they're all over, I mean, the Sonoran Desert too. They're all over Baja. Uh, they'll get, they get huge. They're extensive. Entire hillsides colonized by what you realize is the same, the same individual, the same clone that's just been copying itself over and over again uh, for centuries, you know? And then you wonder how long has it been there? It's a fucking incredible thing to see. It's really cool that they made... Uh, a little exhibit out of it for the park, you know, so grandma and grandpa can get out of the, uh, get out of the Ford Explorer and, and look at the majesty of what the Lord does. And never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of people anymore, but I'm just, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's a really cool thing to see. And it was, uh, you know, I hadn't been there in like 10, 12 years. I mean, I've seen a bunch of Choya since then, but I hadn't seen this extensive uh, Choya garden in at least a decade. And it still is one of the biggest I've seen. It's a really cool fucking area. And it's worth it if you're uh, going through Joshua Tree National Park. It's worth it to stop and check it out. Holy shit. I had to take a uh, couple days off. I was uh, came to Chicago to see my kid. And then I within like a day, I got the most intense sickness I've ever fucking had in my life. God, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, it started as a dry cough. I had a fucking horrible plane flight. It sat next to this super fat guy. No offense to fat people, but Jesus Christ, when you got to sit next to him on a plane, 
I mean, I came out, I'd lost circulation in my arm, and the the dude act, I mean, he was spilling over into my fucking seat. I hate flying anyway, just because I don't want to be around all the all the normal Joe, Joe six-packs or whatever the fuck uh, that constitute most American citizens, so I, whatever. It was a horrible flight, and then I came down with this brutal illness. They did a PCR test on me. Remember that polymerase chain reaction? Wasn't I ranting about that in the last podcast? Basically amplifying segments of DNA. Uh, in this case, viral RNA. But amplifying segments of DNA uh, to then later uh, work out molecular phylogenies, figure out how closely one species of plant is related to another. It's cool. The whole I, Who invented PCR? I'm not even sure uh, when it was... Uh, popularized 70s or 80s or something maybe later anyway whatever so i they they confirmed it through a pcr rna test that it was indeed influenza which is fucked up because i got a flu shot i always get flu shots but it uh i guess this time it it didn't it wasn't a good match for the strain so this is gonna this is gonna vindicate all those fucking obnoxious wingnuts who who uh claim how they don't get flu shots because they don't understand how vaccines work and they think that the the flu shot actually infects you with the flu Oh, Christ. Everybody's an expert. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I, I've been out for a couple of days. But I was talking about Choyas, and really, if you if you haven't seen one of these massive cylindro punch of Bigelovii gardens, you should. I don't know how many species of Choya there are, 30, 20, 30, 40. Uh, it's all, I think it's all mostly, there's a couple members of the Opuncha subfamily of cactus in South America. I think like Tephro cactus is in there, and a couple other actual choyas. The Opuntia's, anything that's in the Opuntia subfamily has glockids. It's the only subfamily that has glockids. Actually, you might want to check that. I don't know. Pereskias might have glockids too. But I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I think it's mostly just uh, choyas and Opuntia's prickly pears. Um, glockids, of course, being the minute, tiny, painful fiberglass hairs that get stuck in you. They stick out of the aerial surrounding the central spine of a prickly pear, and uh, of a nopales, of an opuntia, opuntia, as some people say, which I always thought sounded ridiculous, but whatever, potato, potato, uh, the glockids stick out, and, and basically, you get these things in you, they're so hard to see, number one, so you could have 20 in you, and you wouldn't be able to see them all, and uh, they end up forming these little, what look like zits, you gotta pop them, it's, you know, when they get stuck in you, and, and it work, ask anybody who works with cactus, you know, at least in propagation or something, and those fucking glockets are brutal. Anyway, so uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't been to that Choya Garden, you really should check it out. It's in Joshua Tree National Park. There are, uh, of course, it's not the only one. There's a there's a bunch of others, uh, a bunch of other of the, just these massive clonal uh, areas of, uh, in that case, Cylindro puncha bigelovii, uh, but there's uh, many other species of Cylindro puncha. In California as well. Cylindropuncha chuckwalensis is the one that just got named. It was a, a formerly undescribed species from the Chuckwalla Mounds. It's got orange flowers. And I uh, saw it a couple years ago. What a great fucking range that is, the Chuckwallas. But, you know, my fear, my what I imagine is going to happen is that all these sensitive desert areas are going to be overridden with people in the coming years. There's just too many people between L.A. and Vegas there's too much of the motor vehicle crowd, too many of them. There's too many van life, hashtag van life people. There's just, there's going to be people everywhere. So what what we value deserts as is these 
kind of symbols of solid dude that's that's going to be a thing of the past at least increasingly more so as we move into the future so anyway uh speaking of cacti being batteries though i do want to take a a quick as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, digression into that fact of how you really got to think of cacti as basically batteries full of these stores of uh, carbohydrates, energy, that they've created through photosynthesis and and water, you know, and they can last on that for a long time. And then, of course, they can close their stomata, too, and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're gas holes that bring in the CO2. They can close those, and then, of course, they open them at night to bring in more. All this, it, it's basically like its own regulated system that sometimes needs roots and sometimes doesn't actually need roots at all. They they can live on their their reserves, their energy and water reserves for, you know, a couple months. I mean, I I had one cacti that was confiscated by an extremely bored national park cop uh, named Officer Martinez. I didn't get his badge number or anything, but super annoying. Actually, it was fun. I had fun. I had to fuck with him a little bit. He was like some super young gung ho, really obnoxious cop. The other cops that were with him seemed bummed out that he was in charge but uh yeah they they came it was short long story short i barely been at big ben for like a day and i had I, I i didn't have a camper yet on my truck so i cut the lower branch of a uh junipers virginiana which are like roadside weeds and this was in oklahoma i was driving down from chicago and i'd come from oakland and uh, i took this branch put it in my truck covered you know because i didn't want meth heads and whatever shit messing whoever else messing with you know, if wherever my car was parked, if I go into a restaurant or something for 20, half an hour, come back out, whatever. So, and I didn't want my water, which was in a, just one of those blue plastic garafones, uh, you know, those five gallon containers. Um, I didn't want that to get cooked by the sun either. So I had this Junipers Virginiana branch, which I pruned. I was doing the tree a favor. I was, you know, getting rid of those lower branches, letting it get more, uh, you know, get more, more, more room to breathe around its, its trunk. I don't even know if that's a real thing, but whatever. It didn't matter. These, 
these are these trees are everywhere and it smelled nice so i pruned a lower branch off this tree and uh there was only like a foot from the ground and then i put it in my truck and i had all this you know i had like rocks and shit i'd been collecting really cool specimens in the back of my truck had an antler shed i found somewhere and i'd barely been in the park a day and I, i didn't take any of this shit from the park none of this came from the park and um but he saw it, and he saw all this stuff, and the the cop just went. I mean, I imagine they got to be pretty bored, right? I mean, what do they do? They they probably just like pick up old people that fall down on the trails, maybe, uh, you know, make sure people are following campsite rules, etc. I don't know. You know, write people parking tickets. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, he he took it seriously, and he went nuts. They, I had a a mammalaria hydri that uh. I found it didn't have any roots on it. It was actually like, well, it had a couple of roots on it, but it had been unearthed. This was in Rio Grande City, like 2014 um, when I was down there. So I went to Rio Grande City, then Big Bend. And uh, I had this Mammalaria hydri, and, you know, these things are really cool. They're really cool cacti. They look like some sort of weird critter because they'll, they'll, they'll uh, basically mound up on the ground beneath where I this habitat I had found this one was beneath this canopy this short canopy of mesquite and there was a couple of kind of serious species there and and just just some really cool stuff and uh, a lot of cactus diversity down that way so uh, this mammalaria hydra I had been dug up I assume it was by a feral pig or something because they, they kind of like whatever creature dug it up flipped it over but didn't really gnaw on it or anything so I I don't know but I picked it up and I had it in my truck I've still got it actually it was in police lockup for a year which is where I'm going with this and uh and I got it back and it's doing fine so it had enough energy you know just carbohydrates and water stored in its tissue and it's uh in both its stem and its above ground tissue to uh or it's its root and it's above ground tissue to uh you know, make it through a year in a police evidence locker, no water, complete darkness uh, for a year. And that's, of course, what happened. They confiscated all this shit. And uh, the guy was just a total dick. But I mean, I was also fucking with him a little bit. Like I was joking around and and uh, and saying, uh, <laughs> say I bought a dildo as a gag in a fucking one of the most heinous and, and dirtiest adult bookstores I've seen. This is in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It's Merle Haggard's hometown. And so I bought a dildo as a gag. Um, I even had the lady behind the counter who was like straight out of a John Waters movie. She's chain smoking and you could still chain smoke, I guess at that time in Oklahoma, or you could smoke indoors in Oklahoma at that time. She's chain smoking and on the phone, and I'm like, hey, take a picture of me with this thing. It was this ridiculous rubber cock that I, whatever. Anyway, so I had fun telling Officer Martinez in the parking lot of Big Bend, surrounded by all these, you know, geriatrics, and there were a couple hippies who were trying to uh, intervene on my side, but I had a, a, a nice time screaming out to him, you know, Officer Martinez, there's a dildo under the front seat. It's the passenger side front seat. It's, it's no threat to you. It's just a dildo. And, uh, yeah, he kind of turned red. He didn't like that. And then, of course, he uh, he uh, he got a lot worse in his treatment of me at that point. <laughs> but he was gonna, he was fucking with me anyway. They were gonna take that stuff in anyway. So <sighs> anyway, um, so I wrote a letter to his superior officer, or whatever, saying, "Hey, look, here, I got these geotagged photos. All my photos are geotagged. Uh, 
you know, these weren't taken from the park. You can see where I got them. And um, he said, okay, and gave them all. He nullified all of Officer Martinez's four tickets that he wrote me and said, uh, you can come pick it up uh, whenever you want. And, but by that time, I was so fucking done with Big Ben. I was just, I was over it. It's just, uh, like I said, I like national parks. I like that they exist, but they're just not really my cup of tea. Too many people and too many rules and regulations. And I understand why the rules and regulations are there, but it doesn't make it fun. It doesn't change the fact that they're not in. It makes it kind of a a bummer to be there, you know? It, it's just, especially Big Ben, man. They got the cops there, and I actually became cool with some of them on another occasion I met. But uh, the cops there are just like, they're like mall security guards that are super bored and just need something to do. And, you know, I wanted to go into law enforcement, but wanted to work in a beautiful place too. Or maybe they didn't want to go into law enforcement that was going to be actually, you know, dealing with meth heads and shootouts and shit like that. I don't know. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, I was so bummed. I just had left Big Bend at that point. And then of course came back a year later and, uh, and picked up, you know, four boxes of fossils, cacti, and rocks that uh, had evidence tape all around them. But anyway, yeah, that, that Mammillaria hydrae is doing fine now. It's flowering. It made it through that period with that one year period with no dark, with no light and no water. Uh, totally fine. Came out unscathed. So that, I mean, when I saw that, that really illustrated for me, uh, I guess, how to start thinking about cacti more. Uh, not only in terms of, you know, if you're into propagating them or whatever, uh, which I've kind of given up on, um, just too much work, you know, or just ecologically, you know, I mean, they, they really are fascinating. They'd be a, they'd be cool to do a whole fucking episode on cacti. I wouldn't know where to start anyway. So, uh, after that, what did I do? Oh, I proceeded on, this is Joshua Tree National Park still, I proceeded on to a little rock outcropping. A friend of mine had given me coordinates i guess he'd found some some menzelia that hadn't been recorded in the park before not really a rare plant but uh just hadn't been recorded in that region before probably because you know what i don't think people go off trail they don't go they just kind of drive through through parks like that you know especially because the weather most of the time is pretty shitty it's not i mean even if you're there in the winter it's fucking cold it's not enjoyable or the weather's not enjoyable rather you know, and then if you're there in the summer, it's just too fucking hot. So I think people just kind of drive through that park, which I'm fine with because I, I don't want to see people out in some of these places, uh, you know, where you just actually you literally just park on the side of the road and you go walk off five miles into the into the cut. So he had found and this was not five miles into the cut where he found this, but it was just a little granite hill where, uh, you know, it doesn't seem that diverse down at the bottom. But then when you start ascending ascending up this you know 200 foot tall granite hill all of a sudden that you start seeing a lot more diversity and he had seen a species of menzelia the genus menzelia of course for those that don't know it's euknid e-u-c-n-i-d-e is another genus in this family but menzelia is in the, the lowest saciae and uh you know a trademark of a lot of the plants in lowest saciae is they have, have they basically have these like barbed hairs on their leaves, but they don't hurt. They're not painful. They're not like uh, urticating hairs, you know, from a, a stinging plant or anything like that. They're just kind of they're just kind of end up working like Velcro, so that the leaves of this plant will stick on your clothing and just have a really weird velvety, but kind of scratchy sandpaperish feel to them. 
And uh, the flowers on a lot of the menzelias, though, which is the, this genus, are fucking wild. Multiple stamens, oftentimes, you know, sticking out way out of the corolla of the flower. Um, they end up having this fruit that looks like some sort of weird ant head. It's like a capsule, but it's they're just a cool plant. They're, they're really successful. I mean, I was seeing them in Oaxaca. I was seeing a Euchnid uh, rock nettle that was fucking, because they're always grown out of rock, that was fucking huge. You know, big yellow flowers with, you know, dozens of stamens. The flowers were the size of a of a grapefruit, you know, and the whole plant's growing out of a limestone rock wall, you know, on the mountains uh, between Puebla State and Oaxaca in Mexico. Um, you know, there's a Menzilia Leva, I believe it's Leva Collis, Blazing Star, which you can see up in Siskiyou County. You can see it on I-5 as you're going by Blackview. You know, you look, if you're going north towards towards uh, Oregon, you look on the right side in like April or May, you see a bunch of Menzilia Leva Collis, really cool fucking plant. Just uh, big, they call them Blazing Stars for a reason. You know, they're they're flowers. So the species, uh, the genus Menzilla is pretty fucking great. Lots of diversity in it. Uh, Euchnid has lots of diversity in it too. I saw a really cool one in uh, Baja. I think it was Rupestris. I forget the name, but it had like almost bluish green flowers. It was weird, really weird. They looked like bromeliad flowers, kind of. But yeah, anyway. So the genus Menzilla is a uh, is pretty great, and uh, got a lot of species in it. And the one that that my friend had found was Menzilla puberula, which wasn't that remarkable as flower as far as a a flower goes but um yeah it was still it was still cool to see a little orange flower maybe like the size of your thumb and then the, the leaf shape on these things is the leaves look really cool too i mean they're yeah covered in hairs and kind of kind of shimmery almost like a like a darkish like a bluish green you know they got that glaucousness because they grow in in hot arid environments so i went and saw went and checked that out and then just uh kind of drove uh drove to the south end of the park to find a place to uh park and and sleep for the night and coming through once you leave you know driving through the south end of the park uh it was just the whole area was just lit up with lupins man and the, the flowers were or the the clouds were all black and kind of gray there was rain on the horizon but there was like the sun poking through away at the you know poking through beneath the clouds you know, low in the sky to the west, and uh, yeah, I mean the loop. I think it was Lupinus arizonicus, but it's just lupins everywhere, all over this bajada as you descend out of this wash. And uh, fuck, it was it smelled amazing. It looked amazing. It was so, yeah, it was a. Uh, I don't know. It's moments like that that I kind of I kind of store and use as medicine, mental <laughs> mental health medicine. While I'm, you know, what like the next time I'm sitting in a line at the DMV. You know, or what's another terrible place to go? I don't, there's so many of them, you know, in human society. It's a nice antidote to that. I just think of those, those settings, <laughs> those, those scenes. So I don't have to think about where I am. But, uh, so that was going off and there's, you know, it's lupins and it's a bunch of different types of Onogracea, the evening primrose family. There's Camisonias and Shilismias and, I don't, you know, with a lot of these plants, I don't narrow it down to species. I can, I just, I make sure I can tell what family it's in and, 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 or maybe what genus and just leave it at that. But, uh, yeah, man, I can't just, cause there's so much, you know, you could you try to learn the species, you have the species of every, 
every fucking genus you see, then what about the things that you're really excited about that you go to bed thinking about that that you re- you really want to understand and learn more about? I mean, there's there's only so much room, at least in my brain. So, you know, when it comes out to king king out what species of of uh, you know Medzilla or fucking Lupin or Cylindro Puncha, I just I just narrow it. It's a Cylindro Puncha, except you know if it's one that I see a lot that's really common that I kind of try to figure out what that is. But, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. There's just whatever. Some people are really adamant about narrowing it down to species. I just kind of, whatever. It's, it's this genus, leave it at that, you know. Wait till I get obsessed with it, and I'll, then I'll start teaching myself. Start trying to learn. So, and with some of them, it's just fucking impossible. Like Cianothus, you know, or Arctostaphylos. I mean, there's just these things that just have had these these rapid radiations and highly successful uh, radiations in California or in the West in general, you know, where there's just so many fucking species, man. Um, where do you start? Yeah, of course, now that I say that, it's going to bug me and then I'm going to start trying to figure out how many different species of Camasonia and Shilismia there are in the the uh, Mojave Desert. <laughs> Fuck. It's, oh, it's hard, man. Look, try to figure out the difference between Aramothra and Camasonia, which now they changed changed to Chilismia, C H Y L I, whatever the fuck. Who knows? I don't know, man. It's too much. It the whole family is fucking great, and uh, they smell good. They're really important pollinator plants. They look fucking cool. A lot of them have those speckled leaves, those camouflage leaves, just those basil rosettes of camouflage leaves that um are meant to blend in with the the talus and the rock that they grow in, which is so fucking cool. Uh, Atricoceros platyphylid does that too. And Asteraceae, the uh, the gravel ghost, which is the common name. Who picks these common names? Jesus Christ. You know what the worst one is? Is our Lord's candle for uh, Hespero yucca whiplii. The fucking dangerously sharp ball of spines that uh, used to be classified as a yucca, but is now has, has in its own genus Hespero yucca. They grow all over the coast down from like Big Sur the Big Sur coast, down to like down to Mexico, down to Baja, basically. Our Lord's candle it was our Lord's candle. Ugh, God. What mental imagery comes to mind when you think of that? Have you th- when you think of who would use a word like that? Oh my God! Holy shit! Just fucking leave it to Beaverland. It makes 1950s just makes me want to puke in my own mouth and curl over. Anyway, uh, so what happened then? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Boy, these, this flu is kind of fucked up. It's got me kind of, kind of hallucinating. Anyway, uh, where did I go after that? Oh, yeah. I went and drove. I did a little hike up a wash. Uh, checked to see what was growing up there. There was, um, I saw a really cool euphorb that looked like, what was it? Tetrococcus, I think that was it. Tetrococcus, it's a Euphorbiaceae, which uh, I could tell it was Euphorbiaceae because I found a plant with spines on it. It's got sessile leaves with no no stem. Just looks like a just a brushy desert plant, you know, just some brush, some brushy brush, and uh, <laughs> and you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't really pay attention to it unless it was flowering or had fruit, you know. Uh, it almost looked like a Ramnaceae because a lot of those Xeric Ramnaceae will get those, you know, their stems turn into spines and their lateral stems turn into spines. And it kind of had that branching structure, but it didn't look quite right. And then I saw the, I saw one with fruit on it. It had three lobes. I was like, ah, it's a fucking euphorm. And then just looked it up and yeah, Tetracoccus. What a weird plant. I'd never really seen that before. Or if I did, I didn't pay attention to it. But just growing in these little these little granite washes. And that's where I saw a lot of uh, Atricosaurus platyphylla, which I was just talking about. The gravel ghost. I saw that flower in there, too. Um, a couple that had just started to flower. The ones that were on, like, the sun-facing side, you know, where they get more warmth. Anything that's in a position like that is in a in a position where it's if it's growing in an area where it's going to get warm, more warmth than like the next ridge over or the other side of a little valley that it lives in, it's always going to be flowering first. So, you know, if you're on, if you show up somewhere and there's shit that's not quite flowering yet, you, you want to look where it's growing, you know, the stuff that is getting more sun, more South facing up against the rock, et cetera, is going to be uh, more further along in the process towards anthesis full maturation of the flower um what the fuck anyway so yeah and i saw a couple of atricosters they're not that good at camouflaging they you see the base of leaves on these things and they are just speckled some are blue some are red and they're like it feels like a succulent kind of lettuce like the edges of the leaves have little almost little spines on them not spines they're just very dentate but uh it, they the fucking leaves on Atricosaurus, A T R I C H O S E R I S, uh, look fucking beautiful. They're great. They're such a it's such a cool plant. I'm so in love with this plant. And then it's then it sends up one, you know, flowering stalk from from the what would you call it a stipe? Maybe I don't know. No, not a stipe. That's not right. Anyway, it sends up one flowering stalk from this basal rosetta leaves, and then puts out. You know, it's got a. a basically a compound inflorescence of composite heads, you know? So they'll be like, well, it's a composite. So every flower is technically like 40 more flowers, but it'll, it'll basically have, you know, like 15 fucking flower heads on one plant. In some cases, it is such a cool plant, but they're not that good at camouflage. Cause I saw a couple of those inflorescences that had just been just bitten off. The stalk was bitten off. 
either by rabbits or bighorn. So, you know, and that's the fucking bighorn. I bet there were bighorn watching me. I always feel like that whenever, whenever I'm in these, these kind of like little nooks, these granite nooks of mountain ranges in the, the sea, the ocean of sand and alluvial deposits that is the Mojave. Whenever I'm on those, those little mountain ranges, and I've seen them a couple times, you know, they're always way, way high up, you know, on a ridge above me or something like that. But they always seem to hear you before you even know they're there. You know, they know what's going on. Those, <laughs> all that evolution, all that, uh, all that evolution and adaptation was for something. Because bighorn are very good at uh, avoiding people. So uh, anyway, I what did I do? Yeah, I, I did that little hike, and then I went. I'd been in the near the Chuckwalla Mountains, like two years before. Um, I think that might even be Imperial County. But I've been in the Chuckwallas, and then there's a little mountain range to the west, and uh, it was a. I guess it was some. It was some trail. You know, back when the honky death call was getting started and doing its thing, it was some big trail uh, out west uh, for people that wanted to mine gold and silver in a lot of the mountain ranges in the Mojave. So, uh, but now it's just a dirt road that goes through the middle of the fucking, there's no one out there. You need four, four by four. Um, there actually is an old railroad line that you go under a couple times, but uh, it's long abandoned. There's weeds growing out of it and shit. So... I drove through that route to kind of see what was going on. If there was anything, I mean, there were flowers, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, any, anything too remarkable. No offense. I mean, I think they're all remarkable, but it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like these, these carpets of, of fucking abronia or, you know, desert lilies or shit like that. It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just kind of, it wasn't even warm enough yet. I don't think, I think it might, might be really good in a month or two but um i also want to get i mean i want to get into the chocolate mountains sometime but it's a bombing range it's a bombing range east of the salton sea and yeah you can't really get in there i guess there's wing nuts that go in there they call them rage run, range runners they go in there and they pick up all the shell casings and shit that fall from the planes or the you know the shells i guess they're basically collecting brass you know, they're like these crazy fucking, I don't know if they're methed out or what, desert wingnuts that go out there in ATVs and and pick. And I guess that's, they pick up all the, the brass off the ground, and I guess that's actually a sustainable living. I guess they can make tons of money doing that. And, uh, you know, it's against the law. They don't want them out there, but technically it's somewhat tolerated because they'll pick up the, uh, you know, they're cleaning up after the military, but the military still doesn't want them there, so they got to go arrest them and, but yeah, they'll make these guys will make like ten grand in a month, uh, just collecting brass. You know, of course, risking getting blown up or shot. But uh, <laughs> fucking hey, man, yeah, whatever. It's not worth it to me. But uh, yeah, so I was going through that whole area is really cool. It's just a, it's just very empty. Of course, now that I mentioned it, maybe there's gonna get a get a, get a run on it. Hashtag van life. Oh God. Hashtag wanderlust, hashtag whatever the fuck. Just blow these places up and hype them up and get people out there and <laughs> roll up to the fucking Chuckwalla Mountains wilderness and there's like 30 Subarus parked in the parking lot. Fuck me. And a Sprinter van. If I ever get hit by a car, it's going to be a Sprinter van. But anyway, so I, I 
drove on this trail basically it was uh on this trail east just going around this mountain range just checking out to see what's what's going on uh, floristically and uh not much was going on yet i did i found a cool little mimulus not the placus which those little desert mimulus are, are so fucking cool they're uh their leaves are often really red they got a lot of hairs i mean everything in the fucking desert has hairs on it but a lot of little hairs and then of course they when they get these flowers even if they're fucking tiny uh, what a cool genus you know diplacus d-i-p-l-a-c-u-s gotta get used to using that now they were known as mimulus for so long but that whole uh, phylogeny got fucked up in a paper a year or two ago i think about mimulus and uh, diplacus and Holy shit, they got, I think there's one other word I'm missing out on. I don't know if they changed the family or what. You should check it out. It's good. It's good paper. Steal it on Sci-Hub, like everything else. So uh, I saw some cool memulus, but it was just kind of cold, and then it got cloudy. You know, it's still, it's still too early in the desert. It's been a long winter everywhere in California out west. Uh, so that, um, nothing was really going off, but I, I stopped at this one area, towards the end of the road where it almost meets back up with i with i10 and i saw this hillside it was all rhyolite or some sort of extrusive igneous rock and it was just covered in very very tiny shit shit that wasn't getting that it wasn't that tall yet it was a let's see it was lots of facilia and then it was uh aramelki that malvaceae it's like an annual malvaceae but all the, the leaves on nothing was green the leaves were all like deep red or uh I mean, they were all just basically some color of red on this Aramalki, and they were small. I mean, the species as an annual can get up to fucking three or three feet tall, but uh, these were these were much smaller. You know, they were all they were kind of growing in this harsh, exposed area, and so of course they didn't get that big. Um, and how plants regulate that is fucking fascinating too. Um, yeah, just a what what is it? Just a cascade of hormones? Just just different hormones being released or triggered by different aspects of the environment what a fucking cool i mean that's and that's just the the plasticity with some of these desert annuals you know like pyridoles they'll stay small if they know they're in a in a fucking hot environment if they know obviously but you know what i mean in a, in a hot exposed environment where there's not going to be that much water availability so they don't put all your energy into getting big versus you know obviously if they're growing in a uh, more moist or shady uh environment well they don't really grow in shade but you know what i mean uh they can they can spend that energy into getting bigger and be fine with it and f- have producing more flowers etc so there's just so much variability in some of these desert annuals and that was so it was cool to see this basically carpet of aramalki that uh, malvaceae just all over this uh talus hillside of volcanic rock and then of course it was mixed with you know facilia little purple facilias and uh a camisonia and a bunch of other stuff tiny stuff oh i saw a corazanth the spine flower same family as buckwheat c-h-o-r-i-z-a-n-t-h-e spine flowers they're cool when they when they're dead and dry you mostly see them you know when they're old when the old plants are at least right now like what i was mostly seeing was just the skeletons of them, they leave behind these little three or four inch skeletons that just look brutal as hell, just really mean. Uh, the They basically, it looks like a spiny little brown dried up rod sticking out of the ground. And uh, so it was cool to see a lot because they're pretty when they're, when they're alive, you know, when they're, when they're actively growing. So 
There's another one I saw up near Pinnacles too. That is uh, another really cool Corazanth. That's a cool genus. I think there's a lot of diversity uh, in Western North America, and if, it's related to buckwheats. It's related to Ariagonums. You know, so uh, right there, that's fucking exciting enough. <laughs> Maybe some people don't feel... I'm just getting excited about Ariagonum, so I can't really... Maybe it, maybe it'll transfer to you. Maybe it won't. But, uh, yeah, I certainly thought they were boring as hell before I started learning more about them. So, uh, but, so I, I stopped at that little... Um, basically, a, a talus hillside of extrusive igneous rock and then looked on the Bajada next to it, and there was a plant. One of the weirdest fucking plants I've learned about recently... Um, it was Oligomerus linifolia in the family Rezidaceae, which is R-E-S-E-D-A-C-E-A-E. And the more I read about this thing, first off, I've never heard of Rezidaceae. It's in Brassicales. It's in the order of Brassicas. But, uh, which I guess I could see. But, um, the family itself, I've never, I have never fucking heard of it before. And, uh, I don't even, I forget what I actually read about it, except that it was in Brassicales. But this plant, Oligomerus linifolia, it's an annual, it's small, it's kind of nondescript, it looks like it could be a weed, it'd be easy to miss. Um, but then when you look closer, it's got these tiny, tiny flowers on basically a spike. And the the leaves are really lanceolate and wispy and shit, and just, it's just such a weird plant. And you look, and it's, I think it's got three stamens, in the flower, three tiny st- The flowers are tiny. They're like smaller than individual. They're like the size of the individual florets and in a lot of composites. But uh, just what a weird plant. The more I read about it, I guess it's distributed all over the world. And it was, but it, yet it's still apparently native to areas uh, to the southwest. You know, and I guess people were, I guess there was some argument about this, this fact people because it's got such a widespread distribution people assumed it came over uh with uh, the honky death cult but um but it didn't i guess it was here already dna evidence confirmed that it's i that it's it's basically native here that it's been in the southwest i don't know how, how would they confirm that just they'd compare the the elements of a certain strand of of DNA from one population of Algomeris with a one that's found in Turkey or something, and then see if there's enough divergence there in the more conserved areas or in the more variable areas, I guess, that uh, that could prove that it's actually not that closely related, that it's a different population. I don't know. I don't know. But it's weird. It's weird to think about how the fuck does a plant... Well, first off, what do its seeds look like? How do they get dispersed? How does it go, how could the same plant be distributed across oceans, you know, without any human, uh, any human assistance, you know? So, and how, it just the, the distribution of it, I think it grows somewhere, it grows in the Middle East, I don't even look where else it grows, but I mean, that's enough of a, of a huge population jump or a huge distribution jump to go from the, the Middle East to fucking American Southwest. I mean, I just, how does a... <laughs> how does it what is a bird did a bird i mean I, to go that to have such a weird distribution is really fucking odd you just don't see that that much you know unless it's with weeds unless it's with 
escaped invasive weeds that don't have any competition in this ecosystem and just kind of go wild, like Brassica turnifortii is now. Sahara mustard. Oh, that's a drag. Because those things, those plants, they'll grow in washes. You know, one plant can produce tons of seed. The seed gets in the wash in a desert arroyo or something, and it gets a little bit of rain. The seeds sprout, and they are so, they grow so quick. And, I mean, it's like kohlrabi. It's a fucking brassica. The root is huge. So that's all, to get a root that big in a desert, you're taking up all the water from from the surface for the from the soil area around you you know and then you're de- you're depriving all these other plants that have been there for millennia and that are part of this ecosystem this plant then deprives them of moisture they don't they don't germinate they don't get big the brassica can outcompete them it's can obviously is really efficient at, at, at absorbing water its roots are um yeah it's fucking going nuts I rip it out whenever i see it sahara mustard it's a bad one and it's really, when you look at how big some of them can, can get, like individual plants can get, like I said, a kohlrabi, basically a giant fucking brassica root, you realize, you know, that to get that big, it must be sucking up a lot of water uh, from that ground, you know? And it, I mean, because they get, they're so massive compared to everything else. So, yeah, I don't know. The fucking Sahara mustard's a drag. And it's everywhere. It's getting, tra- I think it gets transported by these trucks that are building a lot of the various pipelines. Uh, and other stuff. There's a lot of construction going on in the Mojave right now. It's a, it's a fucking bummer to see. And I mean, I've just in the in the ten years I've been going, I've just seen more year-round activity. You know, so like I was saying before, that's my fear that these places are going to become less desolate and much more just populated. Just one big metro area between Las Vegas and Los Angeles. Well, anyway, back to Algomeras. So. Yeah, that one, it's just, that's a fucking weird, it's just a weird plant. I don't understand, uh, I can't, I don't know anything about other plants that it's most closely related to. I don't know why it's got such a weird distribution. I don't know how it occurs in the Middle East and in the American Southwest, you know, or when did those two populations diverge? Um, yeah, it's just rare that I see a plant that I don't know anything about, <laughs> or at least have an idea about, or know what it is, uh, in the Mojave recently. So this thing just kind of, yeah, it's a, a mystery. Those little botany mysteries always, always kind of just enthrall me. And I love thinking about, uh, I mean, cause there's so many other things that brings into, into play, you know, geologic time, uh, dispersals, climate change. What was the climate like in the Mojave 15,000 years ago? What's it going to be like 10,000 years into the future? How will that affect plant populations? Um, fuck, I go nuts thinking about that. It's so it's so exciting and it's so cool and it's so mysterious and just really gets a hold of your imagination. Or at least for me, you know, with everything. I just want to know how it got there. How did it how did it evolve? Where did what was the distribution like, you know, in the past when the climate was maybe a little bit different, etc. So that that was uh, that was cool to to finally see that thing. And I I'd read about that plant a day or two before. Actually, a friend had told me that he had seen it because he was like, "What the fuck is this?" Too. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So that was that was nice to to get a glimpse into a plant I'd never seen before, a family I'd never seen before. Reza Dacia, what the fuck? Anyway, uh, so after that, I was uh, I went to meet up with some friends near an abandoned mine in the Bristol Mountains. Uh, and I've, I'd actually been to this spot 
probably, I guess in October I went there. Um, and it was a lot warmer in October. And, you know, this is of course at the end of the dry season. So they had, they meaning the plants because I'm <laughs> fucking talking about plants as if they're people. What the fuck? It's all right. doesn't matter. Plants are more interesting than, than most people in general. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I went to the, uh, we were, we were down to meet up in the Bristol mountains, which is, uh, it's, you know, it's mostly this, uh, these large chunks of granite with some cool, I don't know if it's a, if they're intrusions, it's, it, it looks like extrusive igneous rock, of course, right? The, the difference being that the phenocrysts are smaller. Um, so there's, there's a lot of white granite and then there's a lot of, or light colored granite. And then there's a lot of, uh, these igneous intrusions. It's kind of like brown, smooth, almost looks like ventifact in areas where it's been exposed for a long time, you know, polished by the, the sand grains. And uh, the Bristol Mountains are mostly composed of that, but then they have uh, some areas of limestone. Not sure if it's dolomitic limestone or, or what. The difference in dolomite and limestone, of course, being uh, a slight difference in chemical composition. I think it's, what is it, calcium? Ah, I'm going to fuck this up. It's calcium carbonate for limestone, and I think it's calcium... You'll have to look this up. It's, like, it's like calcium sulfate or calcium with a magnesium ion. I don't know. I don't know. I forget. <clears throat> yeah, but anyway, there's a, there's some good limestone exposures there. And of course I'd read that there was a disjunct population of Salvia funeria in the Bristol mountains, probably, I don't know, maybe six months ago I read this. And so I went to go look for it. Cause now you got to go fucking look for it. So I went on satellite maps. This is back in October, looked for the lighter colored rock, which kind of threw me off. Cause some of the granites lighter colored too. on the satellite images, and, uh, but the dole, you know, the limestone does look, it's a different, it's a different tone of, of white. Isn't that, shouldn't that be like a, like a, you could fucking make that into a political satire, a paler shade of white for all the, uh, all the fucking triggered, uh, butt sore, uh, Trumpistas out there, a paler shade of white, white victimization. Anyway. I'm sorry, and I'm not supposed to get political, but I can't help it. The times we're living in, all these triggered, sensitive white people. Anyway, so uh, <clears throat> so the limestone does look a little bit different, but to me, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know any of that at the time. I just kind of looked for the lighter-colored rock, saw where it might be, and then decided I'd head out there uh, into this mountain range. You know, I always, I always do that. I call it mapster baiting. I didn't coin that term; a, a friend did, but. You know, mapsturbating is just looking at maps and especially topographic maps. For any botanist, anybody who's into to uh, to field botany, to look to look at these terrain maps. I mean, you could go nuts, especially when it's just because obviously, you know, you find cool populations, endemic populations, disjunct habit, disjunct uh, populations, uh, really interesting habitats. Uh, in areas where the topography allows for it, you know, whether it's because there's been a little glacial cirque created there or a cool wash or uh, higher up on a mountain or, you know, a, you could tell by color, obviously, a lot of the time, by color on a satellite map, that there's a different kind of rock, there's a different kind of substrate going on there, and you're going to get a lot of interesting plants uh, in those areas. So I saw this uh, in October. I decided to head out there uh I was in the Mojave for maybe a week that time um, and I uh, just wanted to check it out uh, on my way back up north. 
So I stopped, and there was a cool old abandoned mine, not sealed up at all, dangerous as fuck. Um, and then I hiked up this little wash. Everything was dry when I went there. It was fucking brutal. I mean, it was the Encelia even looked like shit. And the Encelia never, the Encelia farinosa is one of the most, you know, tolerant, uh, drought tolerant uh, plants in the in the Mojave Desert. So when the Encelia is looking like shit, you know that's a good indicator. The Hyptus, which is now in Candia, you know, Lamiaceae, the Desert Lavender, Hyptus, uh, Emoriae was looking like shit too. Everything looked like shit. And uh, there was even a speckled rattlesnake still out because it was still warm. It was it was late October. No, maybe it was early October. I don't know. Anyway, and it was a very aggressive speckled rattlesnake. I'd like to say these things, if you ever see these snakes, and maybe I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but if you ever see these these snakes, they're very mellow, like almost alarmingly mellow. They don't, they're not going to start rattling when you're 10 feet away. They're, uh, they're just kind of, they're too chill. You know, I've, I've never, I've, you rarely see them rattle. You normally see them move away from you before they rattle. But, uh, I saw this little one. It was only like two feet long, but it was like striking at me and, uh, but God, they're beautiful. They're like a purple, uh, I was trying to take a picture of a Myriopteris, one of these cool little desert ferns that grow in these nooks and cracks underneath these, you know, all the boulders and talus that's eroding off these mountains. And, uh, yeah, this thing was just chilling at sunset. And I was there with a flashlight. The sun went down because it's, you never let darkness get in the way of looking for rare plants, right? So I was walking up this wash and this thing just, it was pissed. It was striking at me. I think it thought I was going to fuck with it, but I, I didn't want to. I mean, I did fuck with it. I moved it with a stick because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get some nice pictures of it, but I was wooing it. I was talking to it. Oh, you're beautiful. Oh, let me get a nice. <laughs> so anyway, but they are, they're beautiful snakes. They're speckled, you know, they're, they're utilizing that same sort of, of desert camouflage, Mojave desert camouflage, I call it, that the Atricoceros and the fucking Camisonia uh, utilizes that kind of speckled mottled uh, color you know, that coloration, that, that, uh, those designs. So, um, God, they're hard to see though. You know, you see one and they're, they're often purple a lot of the time. I've seen them pink too. I guess it just depends. I wonder if it depends on, on what color the rock is around them, but they really blend in. They're really hard to see. So I saw one of those and I saw this really cool fucking areogonum, which no one can figure out what it is. I've sent it to a bunch of different people. They don't really, no one really, uh, People think it's Ariagonum hermanii. People think it's uh, a couple other guys thought it was Ariagonum deflexum. It's probably its own subspecies of hermanii that doesn't that hasn't been named yet. I don't know who knows, but it was only it was mostly grown on the limestone with uh, this Salvia funeraria, which is what I was there to see. It was a disjunct population of funeral sage, and I I found them. <clears throat> um, I found them when I was out there in October, but they all of course looked like shit. They were. You know, they didn't have leaves on the lower halves of their stem. They were looking really haggard, really beat up from the dry season. So it was cool to go back uh, just, you know, last week, a few days ago, and see them looking fucking great. They're all flowering. Uh, for those that don't know, Funeral Sage, Salvia Funeria, you know, type localities in Death, Death Valley National Park, uh, in the Funeral Mountains, I think there might be a couple populations growing on limestone because it only grows on limestone. There might be a few populations in western Nevada, right near the California border. Uh, 
it's just a it's a fucking beautiful plant number one and then it's just got a weird distribution too the first time i ever actually saw it i wasn't expecting to see it it was alan rockefeller and i were looking for uh we're looking for trilobite fossils uh in an area north of cadiz and just found this this beautiful plant just cascading over a, a dry waterfall or a dry spill off wasn't even really a waterfall it was too small just a dry spill off on limestone and instantly i knew what it was because it was flowering it was january 1st it was flowering i saw the flowers tiny fucking flowers like a lot of desert plants and uh and just we just found that one and then i went back there last january i went back there a month and a half ago and found a bunch more growing up above it um and then this population in the bristol mountains was you know 10 miles west of there and uh that that where me and alan found it actually it hadn't been recorded before there was a new population um, that we not, you know, and then we put photos on INAD and put them up, uh, uploaded it to the, the, uh, the group botanical hive mind, you know, put the data up there, log the, uh, observation. So anyway, we went, we met up with some friends, went to the Bristol mountains, you know, it was a fucking cold gray day in the Mojave. It was beautiful. Um, it had been snowing. No, it snowed the next day. What the fuck? My days are all messed up. Anyway. So we, we, we found this uh, population. It's really fucking cool. The rock it grows on is that Terrapants limestone. So it's not, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago in the Midwest, which is like almost all limestone around Chicago, around that whole area. There's limestone quarries, you know, that go half a mile into the ground, quarter mile into the ground. Um, limestone's everywhere. and uh, But it's a different kind of limestone. It's smoother. It's not generally as rough edged. This this in the bristol mountains and in a lot of places out west western nevada southwestern nevada uh a couple limestone exposures in arizona even though arizona is mostly volcanic southern arizona is um this lime this limestone is they call it the tear pants limestone because it's really it's like sandpaper it's got this brutal fucking rough edge it hurts your hands to when you're trying to scramble up these talus piles i mean it's just a sharp fucking rough rock I don't really understand why I've heard it's been called a dirtier limestone. So maybe it had a couple different uh, various impurities or some shit in it when it formed 400 million fucking years ago <laughs> because it's really old. Most of it's really, really old. Some of the oldest rocks in California are in the Mojave. In fact, all of the oldest rocks in California, I believe, are in the Mojave Desert, you know, and they just kind of look like these these ships in an ocean of sand and alluvial deposits, right? Cause the Mojave is mostly these wide valleys of alluvium with intermittent mountain ranges, the Rodman mountains, old woman mountains, Bristol mountains. Uh, what is it? Dead mountains to the East Whipple mountains in the East. That's more Sonoran, but, uh, Clark mountains. There's, uh, there's so much, there's so many different mountain ranges, each with a different story behind it. Really cool. And different geologics, different geologic story, different geologic setting. It's just this kind of cool melange. And then, of course, the 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 valleys in between are just filled in with alluvium, just slowly washing out, you know, flood after flood, rain after rain uh, on these bajadas. So. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, we um, we went and checked that out. There was a. We, there were a bunch of these salvias. They were all flowering. They all looked really good. 
Uh, there was a bunch of encilia germinating. What else did we see? That areogonum looked like shit. It was flowering in October when nothing else was flowering. That areogonum was fucking weird. It, was, it had these bright blue stems. It's a beautiful plant. Really strange branching architecture. Uh, I don't know how to describe the branching architecture. Just lots of jagged turns. It looked like uh, it almost made this like net, you know, like this, this, like, I, I don't know how to describe it. The stems are blue. The flowers on this areogonum, because I saw it in October, you know, are like red and yellow, like these like little ketchup and mustard uh, droops. They're drooping flowers. They don't, they're not erect. And uh, fuck, it was just such a weird, I'm, I got to go back and get, collect some and see if I can get some DNA, do some DNA work on it, sequence it. Cause it's something weird going on there. And I also saw it at the other spot where that salvia was growing that Alan and I found. So as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so we, we just hung out there for a while, and <clears throat> the mine was fucking cool. It's like a six meter or 60 foot straight drop into the ground. Uh... Dito's cousin said he went in it. He like climbed in it and then shimmied through this, this little bottleneck where it gets like, you know, 18 inches tall. I don't know what the fuck's wrong with him. I don't know why he did that, but he, he did that. He went through the, went all the way in then shimmied through this little bottleneck, this little tight squeeze, and then came out in this bigger room. Who knows what they were mining copper or silver or gold. One of the, one of those three. And, uh, I mean, miners are mostly looking for the point of contact between uh, between two different kinds of rocks, right? One being a very hot magma that's going to chemically alter the country rock that it comes into contact with. In this case, it was a much younger granite intrusion that then uh, came into contact with the very, very much older limestone and uh, that point of contact between the liquid magma uh, and the, the the limestone is where you get a lot of the good stuff, right? Because you're basically cooking that uh, limestone, you know, the, the through contact metamorphosis or uh, 
is that how you say metamorphosis or metamorphic or whatever? Anyway, um, <coughs> yeah, so there was, and there was, there was some really cool uh, rocks even exposed on the surface, really smooth green. Yeah, I don't even know where the green comes from. Really weird colors. Beautiful, though. Looked like a like a polished nice. Again, that's G-N-E-I-S-S, not nice as in real nice. So, uh, yeah, so, so we, we checked that out, took some nice photos, and then, uh, and then went home and then woke up the next morning. I stayed at Dito and Perry's house, woke up the next morning in Joshua Tree to three or four inches of snow, which was fucking, I've never seen the Mojave Desert like that. I mean, it was, it was heavy snow. It was, you know, it's beautiful, but it's also kind of alarming because it just kind of tells you how fucked up the climate is. Um, not trying to be a total naysayer, a total pessimist, even though there's, I have every reason to be when you look at the world around you right now, <laughs> everything people are fucked Our you know, our civilizations at a dark moment, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and I, I think it, it, it was mostly in Joshua tree city. And then of course the North end of Joshua tree national park, which is higher up than the South end. You know, I went, uh, I went back towards Amboy, uh, that morning and they, they hadn't gotten any snow. There was no snow over there. So it was mostly, you know, like sheep hole Valley wilderness. There wasn't any snow there. There was higher up and the clouds were pretty low too, which was cool. It looked really cool, but, uh, there wasn't any snow on the, on the Bajadas and on the alluvial fans out there. So it was mostly just in the higher, the higher regions but, you know, any place that you've had desert annuals bloom and they get dumped on snow, it's going to fuck up their flowering. They're going to suffer dieback, if not die altogether. Um, yeah, man, there was it was it was pretty rough. <laughs> it was pretty rough for a lot of them. So I, I don't think snow, you know, I saw someone post about, oh, snow is an insulator. It's good for. No, it's not. It's 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 still really cold. It's still, you know, it's still basically freezing. And if you get that on flowers of Facilia or Peridale, it's going to kill them. It's going to knock them back. You know, hopefully the plant survives so it can then just produce more flowers and then replenish the seed bank, the soil seed bank. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Fucking. But it was still, I mean, yeah, it was still cool to see. I rolled a fucking, I rolled a snowman or at least a giant boulder of, of snow in, uh, in Joshua Tree city which was uh pretty wild so anyway after that i went like i said i drove east wanted to go to amboy check out uh see what it would have looked like over there stopped in a in an area where i had stopped a month and a half before to see trixis californica that uh one of the early branching clads of a member of the early branching clad of asters the the mutisioid m-u-t-i-s OID the early you know the earlier uh, the earlier asteraceae the more quote primitive though that's not the correct terminology to use now I guess uh, primitive clads of asteraceae and so I stopped there and figured I just park on the fucking side of the road near a power line and walk off into the granite abyss and uh, and so I did and it was pretty boring at first. I mean, I loved the fucking landscape, but the, floristically, there was not much going on. Just some monoptolon, that small desert uh, aster annual, which is fucking beautiful. Really beautiful little little dainty, dainty member of the, the composite family. 
And so there was a lot of that going on. But then, of course, you get into the washes, and the washes are basically just these. They're still narrow. They're only about 10 feet deep and maybe 10 feet wide at the most. At the at their bottom, they're only three three feet wide. These li- these tiny little washes, and all they are basically is these these cracks in the granite that have been exploited by water and further eroded, etc. God, granite is such a fucking cool landscape. I can't get over. I can't get over it. I love it. It just it and it influences everything. It influences the. It influences the the plant life. It influences the animal life. It's just. Uh, Things would be totally different if it were a different kind of substrate, you know. I mean, duh, but uh, but but really, that's uh, everything from the soil chemistry to just the the physical aesthetic and the just the structure of the whole landscape. It's it's pretty fascinating. So I kept uh, kept on walking. I saw some Thamnosma Montana, member of the citrus family. Really cool, uh, uh, Rutaceae. Remember that we get in the desert, they call it turpentine broom, is the colloquial name, which I try to avoid at all costs. Uh, but uh, because it smells, it smells, it's very pungent. It's very resinous and pungent. I think it smells fucking great. I love the smell of plant terpenes. But um, yeah, I don't know. I said that was, that was going off in the washes a lot. And then I kept walking. There was a lot of, I think there was Ariaganum. What is it? Fasciculatum, the really common one, and uh, and then I started seeing uh, that Coryphantha alversonii everywhere too, which was cool. It was doing well. It was it was fucking thriving here. I saw little ones. I saw really old ones. Uh, so that Coryphantha alversonii was everywhere, and then I started seeing those these little like dainty fucking buckwheats, like like they just had the basal leaves, you know, that were maybe the the whole. The whole rosetta basil leaves is maybe the size of a baseball, if that. But then they had these, like hair-like inflorescences. Their, their umbels were were so thin. Yeah, like like I said, like hair-like, and they're all red. Of course, buckwheats are so fucking wild. I I gotta just get into them, already because they're so they're fucking ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They've colonized the deserts. They've radiated, uh, and I have no idea what any of the species I'm looking at are half the time like that because they're so confusing they're a pain in the ass you know they're like uh they're like some of the camisonias and shilismias and aromathras and that whole on a evening primrose clad they're fucking everywhere and they're doing really well ecologically but they're just they're fucking hard and uh i just have not been wooed by them yet there's i you know i like i said i look at them the way that reagan looked at trees ah, they all look the same seen one you've seen them but what did he say what did reagan say about trees some stupid shit that fucking mouth breather that all the all the republicans all the, like the young republicans want to idealize oh ronnie throw one for the gipper throw one for the gipper and fall down you know <laughs> pretend aids doesn't exist say some racist shit what did he do what am i talking about i gotta stop i'm sorry i gotta stop getting into politics i just i just am really good at thinking about things that make me want to puke so, uh, <laughs> anyway, I can't believe I just turned this botany podcast into a, a verbal assault on Reagan, on Ronald Reagan. Anyway, oh, I saw some Trixus Californica in these washes, too. I saw Porophyllum. Um, I saw a bunch of shrubby stuff that I can't, I can't remember because I just fixated on a couple things. 
namely a, a very huge echinocactus polycephalus that was entirely fucking red. It was the size of like a lazy boy chair. It had, you know, this is of course the cotton top cactus. It's got like 20 fucking heads on it. This one did. It's a beautiful fucking cactus. You know, the epidermal tissue is normally blue, but you can't ever really see the epidermal tissue because it's covered behind, hidden behind these pinkish slash reddish slash whitish spines. Um, and then, of course, you know, at the apex, it's got just these thick coats of trichomes, just these woolly hairs. It's why it gets the name cotton top cactus covering its fruits. Um, that one actually gets poached a lot, too. It's sad. But I saw a fucking massive one. I've never seen one this big, and that was that was fucking great to see. That uh, made me enthralled. But yeah, you know, a lot of stuff. There was a lot of dead stuff around too, just because it's the desert. You know, it's these these uh, these perennials. I don't know if they they just die back and or if they're they're dead for good. But there was a bunch of uh, you know, it just looked like dry brush. Uh, you know, at every six or eight feet intervals on this uh, sparse landscape. But something I saw that did, I looked, once I looked closer at it, it started to, I, now I'm fucking obsessed about it, a type of lichen. And I talked to a lichen expert, I guess it's in the genus Placidium, P-L-A-C-I-D-I-U-M. But this shit was all over the ground and it just looked like these little, these little fucking, I don't know how to describe it, man. It wasn't a, and they were alive too. So they probably look different, not alive, but you know, they were, they were, they had absorbed a lot of moisture. They were, were actively doing their thing. I'm sure it looks different in the heat of July when they're, when they're dormant and they just kind of seal up. Is that right? Do lichens seal up? I don't even know enough about them. How do lichens go dormant? How do lichens tolerate 115 degree fucking surface temperatures on granite? in the Mojave, but this lichen, it was like a black, almost like a cup lichen. You got, what do you got? You got four types of lichen. You got, uh, fruticose, foliose, squamulose, and crustose. And I guess this would be a crustose. Foliose is like leafy shit, you know, like stuff you'd see in the Pacific Northwest. Like you see some foliose lichens that almost look like fucking leaves, you know, dangling from these temperate, from the branches, these temperate rainforest trees. This was, uh, and what is squamulose? I don't know. I don't know. But there's four main kinds of lichen. This was, I'm guessing, a crustose lichen. And, uh, but it had like these weird, the, the structures, and it looked like a bunch of little, little cups that were maybe, little black cups that, that were maybe, uh, I don't know, a couple millimeters across. And a bunch of them all kind of melanged together, pressed together. Um, and then I saw some, it looked like it was fruiting. Like there was like a, like there were just little black spore. I don't know enough about lichen to know what the fuck I'm talking about or to sound like any authority on this, but uh, fuck, it was cool, you know? So, yeah. And I guess I, the guy I talked to, he was studying, uh, I think he was studying the same genus, which he was studying some that were in the Atacama Desert in the Andes. And he was saying that they were eating granite down there too. Is there granite in the Andes? I don't fucking know. I can't remember what he said. But uh, you'd think in the Andes, it's mostly andesite, right? It's mostly extrusive igneous rock. But uh, that's what andesite was named after, actually. It was uh, 
the extrusive igneous rock that is dominant in the Andes. But then, of course, once you get to the magma chambers, much lower, much you know, lower in the earth, beneath uh, the where the vol- vol- beneath the crater of the volcano, where the volcanic rock is, you know, puked out on the ground, you uh, that's when you get the intrusive igneous rock, and that's where you get the granite. So I don't know, I don't know if there's a grant if there's a granite landscape in the in the Andes, I would I would love to learn about it and see it. But this lichen was everywhere, and it was doing its thing just on the floor, on the ground of this uh, this entirely granite landscape. And then, of course, I, so I took a sample of it. I picked some of it up, put it in a little container, and uh, brought it home. But when I took it out of the uh, the ground that it was growing on, the uh, you know the ground just looks like tiny granite pebbles. You know, basically the weathered product of the surrounding huge mass, the huge pluton, the huge uh, country rock that it's eroding from the, uh, you know, just these giant granite boulders. So it's these granite pebbles. And then once you dig down, it's like this spongy, much more fine particled layer. It's so fucking weird. I would love to, I should go back and actually cut into the ground because you'd have to cut into it. It's like a soft, fleshy, like thick fleshy tissue beneath these granite pebbles and what's going on there, especially in terms of like a microbiological perspective has got to be fascinating, you know, cause some of these organisms I've been, I mean, you just, you're going to see lichens in the desert and you're going to see some really weird ones and they're doing very well. And in some ways they're the most perfectly adapted, um, to the, to the desert, you know, they can, you've got a fungus and then in most cases, a algae or a cyanobacteria i forget exactly how you can tell uh which which is which but uh i think this one was an algal symbiont they're called photobionts right because it's it's basically a photosynthetic symbiont uh but the fungus is what comprises most of the structure and it seems like as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It seems like the photobiont can do its thing without the fungus, 
So it's not necessarily mutualistic. It seems like in some cases it's a little <laughs> it's a little less rosy of a picture than that. Like maybe it seems like from what I've read, the fungus is the, is the one that kind of captures the photobionth and uh and and kind of <laughs> imprisons it and then they they kind of do this trade-off, you know? So it's it's like a benevolent dictatorship maybe in in a lot of lichens. You know, because I think the yeah, in many cases the photo the photobiont doesn't need the fungus. The fungus actually needs the photobiont, whether that's an algae or a cyanobacteria. But lichens are fucking fascinating, man. It's like this is some nerd status shit. I remember I got a lichen book. I bought it like lichens in North America like five years ago. And I was like, I'm gonna get into lichens, and I just was like, nah, fuck it. You know what? I'm not really gonna get into. I'm not. It's it's too hard. I don't care that much. I'm interested in the bigger stuff, but now I just, after realizing how they're fucking everywhere, they're so fucking cool, they're so complex, and they're gonna, I mean, they're gonna talk about something that's gonna, you know, endure the mass extinction that humans are causing, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, you gotta go small, you know, these little things, the the lichens are gonna be around no matter what we do, no matter how bad we fuck up this planet, no matter how royally we fuck this planet into a coma <laughs> the, the lichens i don't know they're fucking cool then they're they're beautiful too but uh yeah like i said you got to get a scope and you got to go small so <coughs> god is flu fuck i got the flu shot too i did i get it every year and i've never so i never really get the flu because i always get the flu shot all these fucking hippies think that the flu shot causes the the virus, et cetera, because they don't understand how the vaccines work, whatever. But uh, I guess it wasn't a good match. I guess my flu shot was not a good match. And I think I already said that, but whatever. I'm still reveling in uh, the brutality of this fucking mean flu, man. It came on so fast. It was kind of kind of scary. So uh, so anyway, you got the, the cortex, which is like the outer. It's all The cortex is composed of all fungal cells. It's all fungal hyphae, which is uh, hyphae. <laughs> It's all, so I guess, would it be chitin? Because most fungi, most fungal cells are composed of chitin, right? Um, anyway, so you got that cortex, which is, you know, all these tightly packed fungal cells, uh, the, the fungal hyphae. And then beneath that cortex, you've got much l more loosely packed cells, which is where the, the photobionth is, the alga or the cyanobacteria. Um, and then of course below that, I think you got the medulla and then the risings sometimes, but not all lichen have risings. The base, you know, the base layer is basically where the lichen attaches to the substrate. Um, but yeah, that cortex, the top layer, part of its job is to kind of, you know, shield the algae, the, that are beneath it from, uh, some of the harsh UV, uh, UV light, of course. And then if it, you know, it, the color changes too depending on whether it's wet or dry, et cetera. If it's wet, that uh, top layer uh, becomes, the cortex becomes a little bit more transparent, letting more light through to uh, so the algae can do its thing or the cyanobacteria, whatever is down there. Um, they just fucking cool. They just, what a fucking cool uh, little clad. And of course it's polyphyletic, right? Lichen is just like the word algae. It doesn't mean that they're, they're all necessarily related, descended from a common ancestor. You know, this is a, this is this mutualism is a thing that's evolved many separate times over the course of the evolution of life, you know. So it's just kind of a, it's like, it's like saying, you know, 
not all lichens are related. Basically, it's like saying that everything that has a wing, that has wings, is is related. You know, which obviously isn't true. It's just the it's just the case of symbiosis that uh, worked well, and so life tried it multiple times over and over. But um, yeah, what was it? My fucking Alan just found like a basidio lichen because I think most of them are ascomycetes. They use you know, there's those are two of the major clads of fungi, ascomycetes and basidiomycetes. Uh, ascomycetes are like morels or the cup fungi. Cryponectria parasitica, the chestnut fungus, was an ascomycete, is an ascomycete. Um, uh, and then the basidio, basidiomycota are mostly, you know, like what you typically think of as, the, as a mushroom, you know, like a the cap fungi with a stalk. And, uh, you know... Whether it's magic mushrooms or fucking boletes or shiitakes, it's all basidiomycota. So, uh, and I don't know shit about mushrooms, but I at least know that. So, uh, <coughs> but he, Alan found a basidio lichen, which is pretty fucking cool. I didn't actually, I haven't asked him about that. I haven't, uh, just heard him talking about it with someone else. So, uh, anyway, that lichen was everywhere. That was fucking great to see. Uh, collected some of that, the porophyllum, which of course is in the marigold tribe, to GDA, smelled fucking amazing, I love that stuff, some people think it smells like hell, but again, I love the smell of plant terpenes, and um, so I walked up, walked a little further uh, into these, into this actual, where, where there's more of the, these little granite hills, where it's not just this flat landscape, where there's still a lot of the granite hills left that haven't been eroded. These basically these huge boulder, what looks like boulder piles. And I didn't see that much. And uh, the weather was getting a little bit fucking colder and windier and threatening rain. So I said, fuck it, I'll go. But on my way out, I, I saw, this is actually kind of sad, a huge tortoise shell. You know, huge as in like about as big as a football, maybe a little bit bigger. And, uh, you know, it was empty. It had been scraped clean by probably by scavengers, but uh, there were no obvious puncture marks on it. And I just, just, just in the middle of a fucking, you know, just totally exposed and out in the middle of this uh, little boulder field. And I'd found one, a friend of mine who I was with, actually, she found it a month and a half ago, like two miles away from that. Uh, when we were, we were fucking around botanizing in that area uh, in January. And then I, uh, so I took some pictures and then turned around and walked back through this wash and I found two more shells, two more fucking shells. So, uh, it's really sad cause I don't, everything you read about desert tortoises is they used to be fucking everywhere. It was hard to go a day in the Mojave during their peak season in the spring and not see one. And now their, their numbers are just declining so fucking rapidly. So it's heartbreaking to see, you know, because like I said, it's going to be one metro area eventually between Las Vegas and shitty L.A. Filled with shitty people and shitty retail, you know, whatever the fucking resorts and fucking just, uh, you know, all along the I-15 corridor and I-40 corridor. And so uh, what's going to happen to this uh, to this animal? You know, who knows, man? I don't know. It's sad. Uh, if you've never seen one before it's it's pretty pretty fascinating and it's but it's also it's bittersweet because you know they're not doing that well they're going to go out one of the big threats to them of course is ravens which are a native bird but a a native corvid that's thriving off of uh, human waste off of our society 
And the Ravens are doing really well. They're fucking everywhere. They're huge. Their populations uh, are exploding. And Ravens, of course, can predate predate these tortoises up until they're about six years old and their their shell is finally hard enough to resist being punctured. Ravens are fucking brutal, man. I've seen them eat all kinds of of uh all kinds of different animals. They're they're fucking I mean you wanna you wanna you wanna like them because they're so smart, but on the other hand you're like, fuck, these things are they're kind of they're kind of savage, you know? And they're exploding artificially because of us, just like feral cats and fucking rats and all the other invasive vermin. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, I saw that. I took some pictures. I emailed it to somebody at Desert uh, Studies Center over there in Zizix. <laughs> I fucking love saying that word, Zizix. Uh, and then uh, that guy forwarded to somebody in Arizona at Fish and Wildlife who wrote me back telling me about him. And I guess a lot. I guess something that took out a lot of them too was the drought. Was that they just because it's not it's we're not in the drought now but for you know between like 2012 and 2017 it was just a shitty year yeah you know, for for moisture all over california it was a brutal fucking drought i remember there was one january it didn't rain at all and you know especially in oakland it was like 50 degrees and sunny but it, the air was just filled with smog and there was shit on everything, just particles on everything that had settled out of the air because there was no rain to wash it away. It was fucking gross. And uh, and I was running trains to Reno back then too. And I remember going over that pass, going, you know, uh, what is it? By Donner Pass, there's no snow anywhere. It was fucked up. So I think that, a lot of that, and of course less moisture means, means less vegetation for uh, these animals to eat. And I think a lot of them just, a lot of them just, couldn't make it you know and they died but this was the one the first shell that i found was was an adult it was a very large male adult you can tell because they got that little you can tell if it's a male because they got that little indentation on the underside of their shell you know so they can hump the female basically it's like a it's a little indentation on the uh underside of the shell towards where the pelvis would be so uh anyway yeah, so that was that was kind of bittersweet. Took off uh, and then um, and uh, took uh, took the old Route sixty six back. Took some nice little pictures of uh, of a really cool storm uh, coming in over the mountains, and then uh, headed back to Oakland. So I don't know. You know, I've been going to the Mojave for a long ass time now, like I think eight years total. And uh, I don't know. It's going to be weird to see it change over the years. Like I said, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot more people there. There's going to be a lot more human presence. And uh, I don't know. Civilization's closing in on these little desolate areas. And that, it does. It kind of makes me sad. Because I, I think that these these areas are so fucking fragile. They can't handle. I mean, you saw what happened in Joshua Tree National Park during the shutdown. You know, these fucking airheads from L.A. taking selfies and you know, doing yoga poses on these fucking trees and climbing them and shit and all that dumb shit. I mean, it's it's like that fucking Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Beach, which is, I'm sorry to quote a Leonardo DiCaprio movie here, but he really, it's, it really just shows how people can, how just hyping a spot can just fucking ruin it, you know? And then, of course, all these other human elements like the hubris and the hedonism and, 
and that's the fucking just self-involvement and all the other stupid shit that, <laughs> that human civilization brings to these delicate, fragile areas that have been, you know, peacefully doing their thing for millennia. And then you show up with your fucking ATV or, uh, or your dog that won't listen and fucking digs holes and chases after shit and or God forbid your cat. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. It's who knows, who knows where it's going to be. But anyway, on a much lighter note, uh, I'm heading to Mexico again next week. That should be fun. Uh, gonna try and get some photos of Roos lentii flowering and, uh, look for some more rare encelias. This on the West side. Uh, hopefully this flu doesn't kill me. If it does, uh, I hope you enjoyed everything I uh, have been puking out into the world up until now. And uh, what the fuck? I don't know. If you want to email me, email me at uh, big can of black beans, all one word, big can of black beans at gmail.com. You can also uh, buy some shit off me, buy some merch. Uh, I got those hoodies, those Stop Humanity hoodies, bought near death hoodies, and some stickers and shit. Uh, you can. Uh, email me about that or just hit me up on the uh, Intergram, the Intersham page. Crime pays, but Bunny doesn't. Thanks a lot for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And uh, email me with uh, ideas of anything that uh, you think might be worthy of a, a nice uh, little jaunt, a nice little expedition, a nice little trip to go check out and see. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Till then, I uh, hope uh, you're learning some new shit. You're getting excited about the life, about the non-human world, and uh, you're not being too much of a prick to your neighbor unless they deserve it. All right, take care. I hope you're all uh, doing good. Take care. Bye. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.